Do you want to feel happier? Do you want to feel more radiant and more alive? To go beyond alive and to feel truly like you are thriving? That's what I'm here for. Helping you find that best you that you know is in there. It is. And you can start accessing that you today. It's possible. If you're ready for a shortcut to just that, let's work together. Reach out and let's work one-on-one to transform you and your life into happy, into thriving. Reach out to me and book a quick call. It's in the show notes and let's get you there. Are you really committed and ready? Let's do it. I'm the happiest I've ever been thanks to all the practices I've made a part of my life. You can be too. It's here for you. You can also access my course, The Youthfulness Hack, which is all about feeling good and getting radiant and all the things I do concentrated in one spot. Go there today and use code AMY15 for 15% off right now, only for listeners of this show. And if you are ready to truly have accountability and live happy, book a call with me today. The world needs your best. Commit and show up. Let's do this. Welcome to the Amy Edwards Show. I'm your host, Amy Edwards, and I am super stoked about today because we have another expert and we're ready to level up in our own lives no matter where you are. And so thank you for being here. I'm so incredibly grateful that you have turned up in this show because that's why we're here. We're here to make our lives better in the most efficient way possible, to not necessarily hack ourselves, but learn fast, pay attention, get aware, and show up for ourselves in the best way possible, creating new habits, creating new ways of being at any and every age. So thank you so much for showing up. I'm so excited, of course, and welcome today to Kelly Ray Thompson. Kelly, do you use the Ray? No. Use the rain there. <laughs> it's just on your email. It's and just stuff, on my but... website because Kelly Thompson is a common name, right? It's probably yeah. like Amy Edwards. And so when people see the Ray, they know that it's me and not the other five Kelly Thompsons out there. <laughs> well, I, I've been saying in my head, I'm like, Kelly Ray, it's got a oh, nice ring to thank it. You. So thank you. anyway, Kelly, welcome. So Kelly is a, you are a leadership coach and an author, the author of Closing the Confidence Gap, uh, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential and Your Paycheck. I love that so much. And you are helping women advance into the rooms where decisions are made. I know that's one of your big five, because I read an article that you wrote about big five ideas. And one is getting more women to be the big decision makers, which I am 100% on board with. I think that betters the world in every way possible. And you're also putting out a course for women. Is it a course that is uh, advancing your career with clarity and confidence? Yep. The clarity and confidence women's leadership program. And that's exactly the goal of it. You got it right. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, I think just, I'm really curious about how you got here in the first place. Like what made you take this track? Was it because you saw this lack in your own life and knew you needed to build it and then help others? Or how did you get here? Yeah. I don't think I knew that this is where I was going to go. I mean, in fact, I grew up in like a really small town in Nebraska. I went to a Catholic school. Everybody was white. Everybody was Catholic. Everybody believed the same thing. You know, the men were in charge. It's just the way it was. I went to college and, you know, I did everything that I was supposed to do that my parents said would make me happy and successful. Go to college, get a job, get married early before the good ones are taken and have babies young while you still have energy, you know, all the things. Well, I did all those things, but because I got married so young, like I got divorced young, you know, I had a daughter young, went into banking. It was nice and safe and stable, but 
You know, one of the things that I also noticed just being in banking is, you know, it's a very male dominated industry. You know, but in the at the time, I mean, we're talking very early 2000s, like we weren't talking about diversity and leadership then, like we are talking about it now. It's kind of just the way it was, just like my upbringing in Catholic schools. I mean, you know, all the priests let all the things, you know, you go to college and all the deans and the people running the school are men, you know, you just don't even realize that that's kind of the water that you're swimming in. You're like, oh, it's just the way it is. Men are leaders. The way I it know. is, that's you, you read my mind, like, and then they have that mindset too. Like, this is just how it is. So accept it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, like we just didn't think about it, but as I kind of rose up in the ranks um, at the bank, you know, one of the things kind of started to slowly dawn on me. I'm like, you know, when I look up at leadership, I don't see people that look like me. And I wonder if there's going to be room for me. And then as I started coaching um, more women just informally in the workplace, you know, a lot of the same topics were coming up. Oh, I want to apply for that job. I just don't know if I have the confidence. I think I need to go back to school, you know, and I was a manager of people myself, but I was also an HR person. So I'm like, no, 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 you know, you need to apply for this job. And so I started to become really passionate and I really enjoyed all these conversations with women that I was having about how do I get promoted? How do I accelerate? You know, how do I negotiate my salary? Um, how do I ask for this? Because, you know, they all kind of started to feel and notice some of the same things I did, which was like, there's just no women at the top. So I continue, I actually leave my banking career. I go into technology. And of course, there's still a lot of men in tech. I spend um, a little bit of time there. And I'm still, again, just really passionate about coaching women. And even just honestly, like I was my first client. I'm an introvert. I really struggled to speak up. And I talk about that a lot in my book. Um, I really struggled to ask for the things that I needed. I really struggled to take a stand. Um, you know, I wrote my book because I needed to read it, not because I was an expert about it. That's and, why I do this show. I can completely relate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, yeah, what do I need? And that's what, what I'm I like, here, here it is. Mm -hmm. And so I was in tech and then I actually went to go work for a leadership development consulting firm. And you know, by this time in my career, my daughter is in middle school. I've actually gotten remarried and I am really tired of traveling all the time, you know, because I'm traveling all over the country, delivering leadership development training to all sorts of different companies. And one of the things that my leader had put on my plate was coaching. She's like, you know, a lot of our clients want one-to-one -one coaching. Is this something you're interested in? I'm like, yeah, I think it is, you know? And so I went and got some coach training and I'm like, I love this. And I especially loved it when I got to coach women leaders, because it brought me back right to all of those instances that I was really passionate about. And I kind of had this aha. I'm like, I need to get off the road. I'm so tired of traveling. I'm going to be home with my husband and my daughter. So I went to my boss and I just told her, I'm like, Hey, I really just want to focus exclusively on coaching. And she's like, you know what? That's not really a line of business I want to be in, but she's like, if you want to take these coaching clients and start your own business, I'm happy to just create a partnership with you. And that's literally how it all started was I just kind of, you know, partnered with her. I was initially coaching all men and women, but then when the pandemic hit, like many entrepreneurs who were kind of in the coaching, speaking, employee contracting field, like I lost like 80% of my income overnight because, you know, companies are laying off employees. So of course they're going to terminate um, contracts with, you know, um, people like myself as well. All my speaking gigs were canceled that I did have. And so I thought to myself, I'm like, if I literally cannot lose any more money, okay, I'm already going to the government for PPP loans and all this. Like, what do I really want to do? Like, this literally cannot get any worse. And all I could think of is like, I want to help women. Like, I really, in that moment, it was so clear to me, it was so clear to me that my mission was going to be helping women 
advance to the rooms where decisions are made and making a business off of doing some of the things I loved in corporate already. I knew what it was like to be one of the only women looking up at an all-male leadership team. And so now I've been doing just uh, focusing exclusively on women since 2020. And like, I've never looked back. And that's kind of how we got to where we are, where we are today is it just really took kind of my own kind of aha moments. And honestly, just going through COVID to help me realize like, no, this is what I meant to be doing. When you were, when you were coming up with the job that you had in leadership, was it striking you then like the differences between men and women and the way that we approach leadership? It was like, I started to kind of just have some ahas, like, you know, like this, it's just so easy for men to just be yeah, like they can just show up in the rooms and just be themselves, whether that's well-behaved or not. And they don't always yeah. get in trouble for it. But I do remember just having this sense, maybe burden is the right word or a heaviness that I always felt like I had to self-censor or conform or just kind of always adjust my approach to be more like them if I wanted to get anything done. And, and that was really exhausting. And I still hear that from women all the time. It's like, it's getting better. But I think that's one of the things that I really try to teach folks to unlearn is like, hey, it's really exhausting to walk through the world and self-censor all the time. Try to adapt, try to be someone that you're not. So I think, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a, a thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think it's almost like managing the situation. Like we're so used to that as women, at least I know that I am. And like from an early age, you feel like almost you have to manage other people's emotions a little bit. Is there mm -hmm. some of that in there? Oh yeah. So I have this <laughs> card sitting next to my desk. And so for those of you who are listening, um, this card is pink and in black letters, it says, let them be mad. Because I think Hell for- yeah. The longest time, and I think this is honestly why I was in unhealthy relationships. This is why I really struggled. I think, I don't know who told me this. Nobody probably told me this, but I always just had this sense that it was my job to like make sure other people responded well, that they didn't respond poorly. And if they got mad, I needed to be like, oh, oh, oh never mind, never mind. Okay, no, settle down. Blah, blah, blah. But like, as I think I just became more emotionally mature in my own relationships, leaving emotionally abusive relationships and coming into healthy relationships, setting boundaries, understanding that like I was an empath. And so I was already just very attuned to other people's emotions. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I can't control other people's emotions. Like what my job is, is to show up and speak up in alignment to my values. And if they're behaving poorly and if they respond poorly, like, that's theirs to manage. In fact, I need mm -hmm. to give them the dignity of learning how to manage their own emotions without me appeasing them all the time. Because probably what's happening here is we're just, you know, creating the cycle where because maybe they are an emotional or angry or whatever person, people have always tried to backtrack and appease. Well, they think they can get away with it. And I was like, you know what? No, like that was a huge boundary I had to set in my life several years ago was just learning that it was okay for people to be mad and it was their job to move through their anger and not mine. What was my job was being open, honest, transparent, and like talking with folks, sharing information that felt in alignment with my values. Oh my God. I'm like sitting here. I was like, should I just, should I cheer? I was like, I feel like, ah, yes, yes. And does so much of what you're coaching start with that internal work? I mean, because I think people like sometimes just want to make the leap, like, let me negotiate that, you know, and instead, does it start with these things that we're talking about all the time? Like you're getting in touch with yourself. Are you really speaking your truth? Are you really like, are you managing, micromanaging these emotions? Like, where's your voice in here? Is that how, how, like, I have not read your book. My apologies. I, I'm looking forward to it though. And 
Is that kind of like where this starts though, when you're coaching someone? Absolutely. So lots of times when people come to me for coaching, um, one, they've gotten a promotion. And so they all of a sudden kind of get into this whole confidence crisis where like, I have this big title and I have all these big decisions now and all these things to do. And it can be really rattling. Sometimes people are really burnt out and overwhelmed at a job. And they think that the only answer is to leave. And so in both cases where I always start with my clients is we always start with defining our values. And a lot of times people, and I remember thinking this too, a lot of times folks like roll their eyes because they're like, oh, values. Because there are things that like we see promoted on a company's website, like these are our core values, you know, but they don't <laughs> actually follow them. And so what I really have to tell folks is like, that's marketing language. I'm like, what we're going to do is we're going to define what you stand for. Because if you, I love this, this line from Hamilton, the musical where um, Alexander Hamilton says to Aaron Burr, he's like, if you don't know what you stand for, what will you fall for? And so much of the crappy stuff that happened in my life, you know, um, getting married, being in an abusive relationship, getting into a relationship thereafter with somebody who is pretty narcissistic. Like it's because I wasn't clear on what I valued. I think I just assumed that everything, everybody else kind of valued what I valued. And I think even in our career too, like I kept trying to push this rock uphill at this organization. And it was a great organization to work for. It truly was. It's just that I was not happy. And I'm like, why am I not happy? Even though this organization is supposed to be so great to work for. And I'm like, oh, we don't even share the same values. We don't even wow. like work the way, like, the, like in similar ways. I value creativity and they are a bank who values rules and compliance. I value learning and they have no learning and development budget. I think it's just really slowing down and thinking about what do I stand for? And what are my values? And does is the career that I'm in in alignment with those values? Is the way that I'm leading in alignment with those values? And sometimes I think it's really hard for folks to kind of really think about, well, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. So where we even start before that, like step zero lots of times is this. I often ask them, well, what do you know you don't want? Because yeah. lots of times people know don't know what they want when they're overwhelmed, but I, they can give me five things right off the bat. <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Because the places in our lives where we feel burned out, resentful, and angry are often signals that our values have been crossed. And so that's a really, really good place to start is let's start talking about what we don't want. Because, hey, I can help you accelerate to whatever position you want, but there is no point in climbing the career ladder only to get there and re recognize that you've been climbing up the wrong building. So we're going to start with defining our values and what we stand for so that we're taking the right next steps, not just the fastest next steps or the steps that are going to get you the most money. Oh, man, yes. And you know what I was thinking while you were saying that? There's almost another aspect of it that's like a, a macro and micro. So if you want the company, let's say you do like their values, if you want them to adhere to their values that on this macro level, then are you, you could think of yourself almost as your own corporation. What would my corporate website be? What would my values statement be? Am I in touch with that? Am I living that? And then, you know, it's like what you want from the outside, give to yourself. Oh, hundred percent. I have this phrase and I heard it from someone that says like attracts like. Mm -hmm. So if you are living in alignment with your values, like, so, you know, I'll just use my own personal life as an example. When I got really clear about what I stood for, you know, because I was on the other end of two failed relationships, I'm like, oh my God, my picker is broken. 
And I got really clear about what I stood for, what my values were. And I started living that in the world. So my core values are love, respect, family, creativity, and learning. And I had very specific things, job descriptions, if you will, of what that looked like, right? If I had my own personal little website, I'm like, these are Kelly's core values. And this is what this means. If you're going to do business with Kelly, you, you got to do these things, right? And I remember when I met my now husband, um, you know, it was just so easy. Because he's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like he just lived life in that same way. You know, even now making career decisions and I do run my own business. Um, I always ask myself, is the person that I'm going to do business with or the company that I'm going to partner with, do they work in alignment with my values? Are they aligned to my mission? And if they aren't, then the answer is always no. Because it's really easy to get off track when you look at, ooh, that would be a lot of money or this would be a really good opportunity. It's always coming back and asking like, wait a minute. Is this in alignment with my values? So I agree. I think it's so important because on the micro, when you are very clear, you will create that clarity around you because you won't settle. You won't allow leaky boundaries. I think we all know, and Amy, I'm sure you know too, of what it feels like when you've made an exception that you shouldn't have. It's like, absolutely. That's just so draining. That's why it's so important. Truly. Well, you mentioned your husband. I just saw a post that you... posted, I think today that y'all have been together five years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Married five years. Is today your anniversary? Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. How, what a wonderful uh, treat to get to do this on your anniversary. Happy anniversary. And I was wondering too, you know, you specialize in women and I guess I was thinking about what men can learn from this too. And maybe what that looks like when you're helping him, you know, how does that, appear. Yeah. So the tools I always tell, I've actually had men read my book and the handful of men who have read it, um, which is really exciting, actually run organizations, which couldn't make me happier because the tools in the book are just solid tools that anybody can use no matter where you identify in the gender spectrum. The other part of the book, the book is very both and. So the book is like, here's all these tools to close the confidence gap. It'll teach you to define your values, know what you stand for, you know, um, um, delegate better at work, speak up at work, trust yourself to make decisions, et cetera, et cetera. Like those are all great tools, no matter what gender you are. But what the book also addresses is some of the systemic issues in place in organizations today, you know, the lack of representation, the likability bias, how women tend to get more requests for unpaid tasks, unpaid work, et cetera, et cetera. So the tools work for men. And I love it when men read the book, because I think it starts to open their eyes to say, wow, I've never even stopped to think and look around the room and ask myself, does our leadership team look like our client base? You know, does our leadership team represent the demographics that are in our workforce? Does my, have I stopped as a leader and really thought about the types of projects that I delegate to people? And do I tend to give men more strategic projects and women more kind of like householdy, you know, less strategic projects. Uh And that's been um, really rewarding to have kind of feedback from men who do read the book who say it was really eye-opening to me. And my husband has actually read the book and he goes, that was really eye-opening to me. He goes, because now I see it everywhere. And I'm like, yes, that was the point. Wow. No, that's so good. That's so good. Cause I really wanted to hit on that. And, Mm -hmm. um, I know if men will just do it, I feel like there's a wall there sometimes and they, again, that's just those gender stereotypes. And they're like, that's for women. You know, I don't, I don't need it kind of thing where we've been reading men's stuff for, I don't know how long eternity, I suppose, you know, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. you Google, um, you know, leadership books. And I did this the other day, the top like 20 results that are returned will be written by men. And, mm -hmm. and you said it just now, but like women have always had to find themselves in men's voices. And so, you know, this is just an opportunity for men to find themselves in a woman's voice. Oh, that's good right there. <laughs> you, I guess you've said that before. Cause it's like, I, that really like calls to my heart because sometimes I don't even realize that I've done that. And, and I feel like that even as a podcaster, you know, like it's, um, there's a lot of male voices, you know, that are rising up and you, we're seeing more women, but it's, you know, it's challenging. And I try to watch my inner dialogue about that too. Did you personally have any inner dialogue that was like, can I even do this? Cause this is a man's world, you know, oh, every like, day it hasn't gone away. Every day. You let me know how to make it go away. Um, you give me a call and you let me know, but no, I think that we have to remember that that inner dialogue is human. And I joke with my clients. I said, you know what? There are people in this world who don't have an inner dialogue about, can I really do this? Can I be successful? Can I really accomplish this? And my husband and I watch them every Friday night with a margarita on Dateline. You know, these sort of people who don't have this inner dialogue of doubt could probably have benefited from a little more doubt before they thought they'd get away <laughs> with killing their significant other, right? Are you ready to up-level your pleasure practice? I have in mind, and the main things that have helped me are the tools that I've found from Wands. Wands creates luxurious products that encourage us all to honor our body, celebrate our sexuality, and live in pleasure with more pleasure all the time. One of my favorites, if you listen to this show, then you probably already know, is the cervix wand. Wands has trademarked their number one best-selling glass pleasure wand. It's for vaginal and anal de-armoring, and it's designed for cervical and G-spot stimulation. And let me tell you, it's incredible. It's helped thousands of women become more connected to their bodies and their pleasure, and supports them to heal pelvic pain through self-yoni massage, and helps awaken more pleasure. Just recently, I've ordered the Venus Wand, another trademarked wand from Wands, and it's designed to activate and awaken the G-spot and more. Also, don't miss one of their new offerings, which are free bleed blankets that can be used as waterproof intimacy blankets. They have a beautiful selection now available. But take a look around at wands.com, that's W-A-A-N-D-S, because they have a huge selection of incredible items like yoni eggs, crystal pleasure wands in amethyst, black obsidian, anything that your heart desires, and so much more. Check them out at wands.com. That's W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And use my link in the show notes to get 10% off or simply enter my code Amy Edwards at checkout. Again, that's W-A-A-N-D-S, wands.com. Y'all, I have started using higher dose products and I am such a fan. You know, I don't put anything on this podcast that I am not 100% completely behind. And I have a special discount code for you for all higher dose products. I'm so excited. If you don't know, Higher Dose is a wellness company. They have wellness tech products, they have tools, they have supplements, and they have body care. They have so many things that are hot right now, too, that are really biohacking and up-leveling our lives at home, which is really cool. They have an infrared sauna blanket. They have an infrared PEMF mat that I'm so excited to be sharing about soon. One of my favorites, though, is the red light face mask. It stimulates collagen, it activates glowing skin, reduces fine lines, regenerates cells and it's soft. 
It's not like one of the hard plastic ones. So you can kind of move it around on your body, which I've been doing. And I am seeing amazing results. I am absolutely addicted to it. I use it every single night. And I'm using it in conjunction with one of their other products, the Glow Serum. And I'm very picky about what I put on my skin. And I am loving the Glow Serum. It's specially formulated to plump and hydrate and stimulate radiant skin, which that's the goal. They have a ton of other products too, magnesium ingestibles, magnesium body care, which has a healing oil and a serotonin soap that you can use in your bath, which I've been using too. It boosts your mood, enhances your skin and deepens your detox, gets you calmed down. Anyway, I'm a fan. So I'm so excited to offer you 15% off using my code MAGIC15. Go to the show notes. You can click through on the link right there. Or if you go to Higher Dose, just enter the code MAGIC15 and you'll get 15% off. Higher Dose has been featured in Goop, Glamour, Elle, Vogue, Bazaar, Allure, basically you name it. And there's a reason why. So go check it out. It's at higherdose.com and enter my code MAGIC15 for 15% off. But all joking aside, I really want Hmm. folks to know that a lesson that I had to learn and I'm still learning, I haven't mastered it yet, is doubt is a normal, healthy human emotion. Like it is normal and healthy to just pause and be like, can I really do this? Like this really hasn't been done before. Can I really write a book that offers a critique of, you know, the systemic things that are happening in corporate. Can I really have a voice here? If I write this book, if people read it, are going to think they're, they're going to think it's totally terrible. And they're going to like bash me all over the internet. And like, is all of this going to go to heck in a handbasket tomorrow? I mean, I just want you to know how normal that is. But one of the things I really think that we overlook is, you know, doubt can keep us really humble and connected and curious. You know, I think people who really know, um, let me say it a different way. Some of the most successful people I've observed is not that they don't feel doubt. It's that they transform their relationship with it. So they feel it and they're like, what important data is this giving me? Where does this mean that maybe I need to do a little more research, check one more time, you know, really tune in to what the other person is saying. You know, I think we've all met people in our lives who don't seem to have doubt. And I mean, if you're anything like me, like I don't really enjoy conversations with those people because there's almost like a sense of arrogance there, you know? So mm-hmm. just remember, like there is, it's a good thing to have a healthy level of doubt where it becomes a problem is when you allow that level of doubt to like consistently sabotage your goals and your dreams where you're never taking action. You're never getting out of your comfort zone. You're never trying anything new. So it's about finding that healthy tension, I think. There's so much conversation about like overcoming fear, overcoming doubt, as if it's going to be a thing in the past, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's always like, at least for me, it's all, I'm, I'm now 50, it's going to keep creeping up. And so I love that. I love the idea of accepting it as part of our humanity and transforming our relationship with it. You know, that's almost this form of acceptance of, and that's a mega level up, I think. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not this denial that we can get trapped in. Yeah. So thank you for that. And do you have any specific tools that you go to in those moments? Do you have like, um, mantras that you say, or like, what are your, you look in the mirror, I don't know, and say stuff like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. So the tool that, um, I found helpful for me personally that I teach my clients is when I'm feeling this way. Um, so I had to give a really, I had to give a presentation yesterday. I was leading an all day workshop. And so of course the night before in the morning of, 
I feel all those doubtful feelings. I feel anxiety. I feel nervous. I feel like if I stand up there, like this event is going to be the one where everybody finds out that I'm a fraud and I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, normal (laughs) stuff. Okay. I just want you to know this is normal. And so in those moments, like this, the first thing that I want you to do, want you to try is what I do is just to notice it. Oh, don't what? There it is. There's my doubt. There's my imposter feelings. There's my anxiety. There's my worry. Like just noticing it with a ton of compassion. The other thing that I do to really slow down, get, get us out of fight or flight back into like that executive functioning is just to take deep four count breaths. So breathing in for four, breathing out for four, breathing in for four, breathing out for four. Like all this is, is just a really good compassion practice because what I always tell my clients, and here's a mantra for you, is I have not been able to meet anybody who can criticize themselves into more confidence. I just can't. We try really hard and I do a really good job of of being (laughs) self-critical when I start to feel these feelings, but like I just have not met anyone that can criticize themselves into more confidence. So let's just notice with a ton of compassion. Just notice, just notice. Let's Mm -hmm. breathe. Let's notice this is normal. The second thing is like, let's slow down and just name those emotions. This is probably one of the most powerful things I've ever done for myself because I'm not somebody who's naturally in tune emotionally. So when I would feel all these feelings, like it just felt overwhelming in my body. So somebody taught me, like, I want you to put your hand over your heart and just name the emotions you're feeling. And so I will slow down and I will say, okay, this feels like doubt, feels like worry, feels like insecurity, feels like a little excitement, a little excitement in there. Um, a little overwhelm, anxiety, imposter feelings, like just naming the emotions. Because what I found and what my clients have found is that naming the emotions doesn't give them power. What it does is it takes this ambiguous jumbled ass mess of emotion that we have. And it brings a little bit more clarity. Like it names, oh, because emotions just, they're just full of data. They just give us data about what we're caring about. And I'm feeling these emotions because you know what? It's important to me that people have a good workshop experience today. So of course I'm feeling a little worried because I care about the people sitting here, right? If I didn't care about the people sitting here, like I wouldn't worry about it. So I want you to notice it. I want you to name it. And I just want you to normalize it. Like this Mm -hmm. is normal. This is normal. This is normal. Like 70% of people admit to feeling imposter feelings. Every healthy person experiences doubt. Every healthy person. The most I've interviewed CEOs of, you know, fortune 100 companies. And they even talk about experiencing doubt. This is normal. This is normal. This is normal. And then I just want you to reframe it, right? Like, this is what stretching my comfort zone feels like. This is what like moving closer to my goals feels like. You know, this means like I'm actually doing the things and achieving the goals that I've set out to accomplish. So noticing it, naming it, normalizing it. And then like, let's just reframe it as like, this is what it feels like to stretch and to grow and accomplish our goals. I totally agree with that. And I had that, I had that experience recently, uh, I was at a speaking gig that I was being paid for, and it's been one of my first ones. And I was the day before we were in some sort of ceremony and there was a deck laying beside me like a goddess deck. And so I picked it up and looked at it. I just was like, let me just draw a card, you know, got woo woo about it. And I opened it up and I picked it up and it said inexperienced. And I was like, that hits, that hits. But you know what? The point is you have to be inexperienced at some point. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes, <laughs> I mean, like, if you want to go to that next one, you're going to go through the inexperienced zone, you know, and like, you if have we are, to. yeah, if you're stretching, you're going to go there. I mean, I was an inexperienced <laughs> author. Like, let's be, let's be honest. That's why I had a lot of support. <laughs> I had a book coach to help me write and to give me support because 
I was like a baby walking for the first time or a baby deer. Like I needed somebody there to support me and give me some guidance. And what I always tell folks is like another mantra you can use is confidence is a side effect of taking action. A lot of people think that like, oh, I'm going to wait until I feel confident. But like, if you wait Mm -hmm. until you feel confident, you will never do anything exciting in your life because it's the (laughs) actions, the really hard beginner baby deer actions. Those are the things that come first. And then the repetition of doing the thing, like that's where the confidence comes. So yeah, confidence is a side effect. That's exactly how I felt in that situation too. I was like, power through because after this, you're not as inexperienced, like go ahead and ask for it, go ahead and, and step into it. So, um, let's step into talking a little more about leadership and workplace and how people can apply some things. Uh, there was one thing that I read in your intake form and you were talking about microaggressions too, and, and how women aren't as psychologically prepared for those and for the criticism and exposure and all that, which is funny to me that we're not as prepared because we spend so much time like criticizing ourselves and seeing like women criticized more than men. And so it's funny that we're not as prepared. I wonder why that is. Yeah. You know, I think it might be one of those things where you just don't know that anybody's actually ever going to say anything misogynistic or belittling to you. You know, even though I'm aware of it, okay, like, like, let's just talk about anything, even though sometimes we are aware of things, of crappy things people say, when you're in that moment and somebody makes the side comment to you, even little things like, well, we typically don't have women do this, or I'm just trying to recall ones that I've heard. Um, oh, um, another one that I've heard from a woman who was in a room, the group was saying, well, I just don't know. I don't think we can hire a woman into this position. Um, little things like, oh, well, if you do this, like who's going to be going with your kids? I mean, it's just oh, little yeah. things that I don't think sometimes we prepare for. And so when we're in the moment and it happens, like, let's just talk about the body response, right? It's like fight or flight. If you're like me, it's almost like I go deaf, my ears start ringing, my heart starts racing because you're just like, how, how do you even respond to that? You know? And, you know, so one of the things that I really encourage my clients to do when those things happen is just to ask for clarity and just, you know, say things like, oh, you said that you can't, we don't see a woman in this role. Why is that? Can you quantify that? Can you say more about that? Like, it's just a really good way to stop and ask for clarity. And it is, I can't tell you why we aren't always prepared for that, even though we know it's aware of it. The only thing that, you know, um, I can empathize with personally and with my clients is that we're just never prepared for it when it happens. Cause it just throws us back on our heels so much. Cause hopefully we haven't actually had that, that much experience with it in person. And so when it does happen, you're like, wait, Whoa, you know, and it can be really, yeah, that's an excellent point. Absolutely. Um, Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know what I want to ask you about all that. I, my mind went off a little bit, like, uh, wondering about you and would you call yourself a feminist? Like how you feel about women and, and equal roles. Cause you seem, and, and where that comes from for you, like, yeah. and can we do it all? Cause I believe we can like quit the conversation about, can we have it all? You know, like that's yeah. the wrong question. I think it depends on like how you define feminism. So let me just like offer, how do you define it? 
Yeah, I don't I don't even know if I have a definition for it because sometimes when I read the word feminism, um, I also, and this is through my own probably lens of what I read, I also hear like it's the future is female. Um, you know, women, girls run the world, blah, 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 blah. But I actually don't see it that way. I probably have a much more Ruth Bader Ginsburg approach to it, where if you've ever read any of Ruth Ruth Bader Ginsburg's work. Um, this is the approach that I always try to take. I loved how the way she advanced equality was by showing men that inequality hurt them. So she would advance um, rights for women by showing men how the lack of a right hurt them. So here's an example. So I don't remember what year it was, but um, there was a, a law that said, basically, if a woman died, a man could not get her health insurance. You know, because, you know, remember in a patriarchal society, the mindset was men work and provide. And so when they die, you know, the woman receives, you know, all the, the benefits, right, to, to take care of the kids. But in this case, the court case that she was overseeing, I can't remember if the man was working or if he just was not earning at the same level as, as, his, as his wife. So I don't remember the, the specific nuance, but they had a child and she died. And so she argued the case that since, you know, she was, you know, providing income, he should receive her survivor benefits, right? So for us today, we're like, yeah. well, of course, but I really like to take this as a lens of equality and how thinking about equality, like advances all of us. Because I think sometimes when we get into this, you know, we see these phrases, oh, the future is female and girls run the world. And I'm like, yes, but I really want an equal world. Because I really think that that's where, you know, we're going to have more progress made. I don't like inequality on, on either side, right? Like there's, what's the word I'm looking for? Abundance in having both folks enjoy these things equally. So that's really, I think, the approach that that I really like to look at it from. That's I think that's a, exceptionally well said, and I couldn't agree more. Like it, we're all in this world and why, you know, it's about that equality and allowing everyone to fulfill their full potential, whatever that might be. Yeah. So beautifully stated. And uh, I haven't read her work and I probably should. So yeah, uh, thank you for sharing that. are so fun. And so like taking that back to corporate, when I talk with men, I don't approach like, hey, you need more women on your leadership team from a place of it's the right thing to do. This is a social justice issue. Mm -hmm. I really try to approach it from an economic issue saying, Hey, like, you know what, having this sort of representation, like, doesn't it make good business sense that the voice of your customers and your executive suite, you know, doesn't it make sense? And you know, the data shows that when you have diverse voices in your room, your organization will be more profitable. And when the organization is more profitable, if you're a publicly traded company, like you have better earnings, you get paid better. And so it's like, you know, really demonstrating, you know, not, Hey, you need to hire more women because it's good to have women in the room. It's like, no, this makes fiscal financial economic sense. Yes, it is a social justice issue, but like, let's actually talk about how this benefits you to make this decision. You are actually putting yourself at a disadvantage by not having it because your, your, your pipeline, your leadership pipeline is going to be less. You will have women go to your website looking for jobs. And when they click and they see that there's no women in leadership, they will back out. They will not apply. So it hurts your revenue. It hurts your talent pipeline. It hurts your turnover. It hurts your retention. And so, you know, that's just a way in organizations, we can just say like, it's truly in your best interest. Like this benefits you to have diversity. It's not just like the good thing to do. 
it's almost like this power too of asking the right questions rather than like demanding something, but approaching it with this curiosity of like, okay, how can I ask these questions? How can I get more curious about it? Why, you know? And like that is making the people in charge or whatever think more and maybe open up their world. I mean, do you encourage people to just like ask the questions? I read something. I wish it's a book about power uh, written by a woman and I can't think of the name of it, but she was saying that if you want to reclaim your power, maybe in a boardroom situation and someone singles you out and says something to turn the spotlight back on them and you do that by asking a question and it sounds a lot like what you're doing like there's mm -hmm. so much power in that when we get curious and ask the, ask the right questions yeah i mean nobody likes to be told what to do so like when i <laughs> talk with people yeah. i think that's what makes me a good coach is like i've always people have always said oh you ask the best questions and i'm like okay so this is probably a thing but i actually <laughs> just having a, a conversation with um a ceo of a company yesterday she was asking for some tips um, to basically rule out something that was going to be really, really difficult for the organization. And I said, you know, instead of just telling people, what if you just present the data and ask them what they thought, ask them what inconsistencies they notice, ask them how they felt about those results and what ideas they have for improvement. Because when you ask questions, you know, then people like, it's just a natural ego response because then people give an answer and then they're more bought into their answer. So I a hundred percent agree that the more that you can ask questions and really get people like thinking, you know, the more likely they're going to buy in to the results you're looking for, because of course they're going to buy into what they say, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> um, I had a mentor and old boss who said this, but my dad always used to say this to me too. They both said this. They said, you know, it's not what you tell people it's what you get them thinking about. And asking great questions is just a great way to get people thinking in different ways. So good. How do you apply that as a mom? And what do you learn from being a mom in that? Oh, in your do you have another hour for another podcast? <laughs> I have a teenager, Amy. She is almost 18. She's going off to college. And so anybody- Me too. Me yeah. too. Okay. So you know, yeah, you me too. nothing. You cannot tell them nothing. So- um, like, okay. So earlier this week, I'll just give you a real life example. My daughter works at a little coffee shop and unfortunately they had an individual come to the coffee shop, you know, say he was homeless asking for some, some drinks. And so she gave him, you know, the drinks and then just got a little nervous because he kind of lingered. She's like, you know, she trusted her gut. She's like, something's not right. So she goes to the back and she locks the door because the door had been unlocked. Well, good thing because he had started pounding on the door, wanting to get in, et cetera. You know, of course it was all handled. They called the police, et cetera. But then after that, after that night at work, she um, was supposed to come home and she sat in her car in the dark by herself and called, was calling all of her friends because she's a teenager. She called all of her friends talking about it, you know, and oh my gosh. I mean, did I lay into her? Yes. But the other thing that I really had to do too, as a parent, is I just had to ask her questions to get her thinking like, Haley, is it a good idea for a five foot one, 100 pound, 18 year old girl to sit in her car in the dark by herself after something like that has happened? What do you think could have happened? You know, you're going off to college, you know, what sort of safety precautions do you think you're going to take? You know, what sort of environments do you think people who are trying to harm people look for, you know, and just really trying to get her thinking about, oh gosh, well, what would, you know, somebody who wants to harm a young girl look for? They look for a girl sitting alone in her car, distracted on her phone, those sorts of things. 
So yes, I mean, that's been a huge parenting tactic. I've really had to kind of shift to since she's been into middle school is really kind of reframe refraining from as much lecture as possible and really thinking about, okay, if you make that choice, what do you think your consequences are going to be? And then what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? And then what do you think is going to do? Because like, you got to get, you got to get them thinking because teenagers. (laughs) No. And, but that is, it's impactful because then she's actually given it the thought, just like you were just saying, you know, like it's, that's a really great parenting technique. And I'm, how does, how does learning those things reflect back into your work and personally? Yeah. You know what? I don't think parenting is that much different than coaching because you know, in those (laughs) moments, um, and y'all know, I mean, about parenting teenagers, I get no response. I get an eye roll. I get, bruh, mom, uh, uh," you know, but just even kind of like employees, like sometimes like when we coach and we ask questions, things like, um, okay. So it sounds like this is a problem for you. What have you tried? What's been your current approach? Has anything else, you know, like this ever happened to you? How did you solve that? Can you use those skills here? Lots of times when we're asking folks these questions, you will get blank stares like, oh, but the goal with parenting I've learned. And even the goal with coaching people is we're not looking sometimes for immediate answers in that moment. What I found with my daughter is about 36 hours pass. And the wheels start turning, you know, cause she's thought about it, you know, now I'm making her think about it and she might come back with answers or I'll hear her on the phone with her friends and she's giving them advice or asking them questions that we ask her. Same thing with employees, right? Wow. Sometimes it's like, you want to ask questions to get them thinking, not because you needed an immediate answer, but because you're trying to get that process of creativity and problem solving started so they can come back to you in a few days and be like, you know, I give that some thought. I think I will try yeah. this. You know, that that's one of the techniques, too, that I've been using on myself just lately. I I can't remember where I read it, but they were like, just ask yourself questions. And I've been doing sort of a stream of consciousness, just positive questions, almost like, oh, how can I afford that? How can I find more opportunities? How can I reach more listeners? How can you know, rather than like, I'm not reaching enough people or I'm not making enough or whatever, just like not not just saying the positive like an affirmation but actually asking the question because they and you probably can speak to this they say there's an actual psychology that your brain starts looking for solutions no it is it's the difference between so it's in a variety of different fields it's a difference between a fixed mindset which is carol dweck's work i can't do this i can't get enough possible you know podcast listeners blah 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 to a ghost mindset you know Mm -hmm. oh well how could i you know, it's a difference between a victim mindset and a creator's mindset. You know, I always see the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, a victim's mindset and a creator's mindset is they are both creative, actually. Very creative. We're all creative people. The difference is <laughs> a victim is using their energy, telling themselves stories about why they're stuck. Oh, I can't grow this. I can't do this. I can't get out of this. Where a creator, somebody with a growth mindset is using their creativity to say, well, what is this teaching me? How is this happening for me? This sucks. I would never wish this on anybody. I hate this situation, but like, you know, what is the universe trying to teach me in this? What's my lesson? You know, that's just the difference in that mindset. I mean, like when 2020 hit, absolutely. I had a two week pity party when I lost all that income, hundred percent, like laid on my couch and cried. Like, let's just be like, call me human. Like I'm not like evolved or I'm like, this is all happening for a reason. But you know, about two <laughs> weeks in, I was like, I got to kind of figure some shit out around here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's that mindset shift. I think that healthy people can get out of like, they, they mourn and they grieve their losses. And at some point we have to be like, if the universe is kind, how is this happening 
for me? What am I meant to learn from this? What does this mean about how I need to learn and grow and evolve so that I can continue you know, to create the life that I want? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, I want to ask you about when, you know, you work a lot with people in the corporate environment, but what about people that are like you? What would you tell them or yourself about getting in the right room for perhaps the bigger, whoops, the bigger speaking engagement, the next level of entrepreneurship that you're going for? You know, what, how does that look when you're sort of faced with like, okay, I'm not in a structured environment like that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really broad question and there's probably lots of answers, but when I think about people who are trying to grow their business, cause I do have a couple entrepreneur clients, um, and just doing what I do. I have a lot of, um, entre friends, you know, entrepreneurs who are friends and we talk about this, but you know, the one thing that I always go with over and over and over again with my entrepreneur friends, cause I think it's a lesson that I've learned is like, pay attention to your energy. It is so easy to look out into the world and see what every other entrepreneur is doing, what, what advice every other entrepreneur is dishing. So I'm just going to go back and say, first, let's do a filter check. Does that advice even align with my values? Oh, speaking is a great way to make, make money. Okay. Maybe if it aligns with your values, what if speaking doesn't give you any energy? Don't do it. Like people do this stuff and then they like hustle for speaking because I think it's going to make them a crap ton of money, but they're exhausted and they're burnt out because they've never stopped and asked themselves, do I, is this even aligned to my values? Do I even enjoy it? Like, is this even a genius zone for me? And so, you know, a lot of the, you know, things that I work on with people who are entrepreneurs who come to me for coaching, we go through this exact same process. Let's define our values so that you are building a business that's in alignment with your values because nothing sucks worse than... <laughs> being out on your own and hating what you've built, right? You know, then it's like, what are, what are your unique talents? What is your genius zone? What is the only thing that you can offer in the world so that you aren't out there comparing and despairing with every other entrepreneur who might be similar than you? And I spent a lot of time focusing on their energy. Like what gives you the most energy? What lights you up? Because that's where you're going to make money. P people see through it if you are not energetically showing up to things that you enjoy. And how can you dump, delegate, and outsource things that that aren't that? And I think that really helps them trust their, their intuition. It really helps them go internal and find the right things. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no one hard and fast rule. I think it's just going back and going inward and asking yourself, do I value this? Is this something I'm good at? Does this even feel good when I do it? Because if it doesn't, like you're going to build this business and it's you're going to feel terrible about it. And there's there's nothing worse than that. No. And then what about asking for what you're worth, you know, getting in touch with what you're worth and asking for it and the, you know, thought of unpaid work yeah. too. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. So one of the things that me and my clients talk about and me and my entrepreneur friends is we always talk about what we're being paid. Talk about our hourly rates all the time. We talk about, um, what we're being, what we're charging for speaking gigs. Um, and then I really encourage my clients to set a criteria for which they do things for free. So I have my own personal criteria because there's a lot of people, especially women, or a lot of people who want women, hey, will you speak for free? Will you do this for us? I'm like, you would not ask a man to speak for free. And, and they wouldn't. You know, there are some times though with nonprofits or something where I, I will do it, but I have a pretty strict like criteria level. And that's why I really encourage my entrepreneur clients to do too, is, you know, maybe you say I will do three pro bono events per year. And the pro bono event has to 
you know, hit a certain, like three certain non-negotiables. Like it has to be in alignment with my mission. There has to be a certain type of person in the audience. And maybe it has to be so many people, whatever that means for you. Because I think if we're not careful, I see this happen with, especially women entrepreneurs, we charge less. I mean, go out, like if you're a coach like me or a speaker, just go out to other coaches, especially men and go to their rates page. If it's published, a lot of them do. And I bet you'll be, I bet you're charging less. So it's really just like thinking, okay, I, I need to start knowing that like men are just out there charging more than we are. And we really need to like come back in and say like, I am worth charging this much, you know, and sometimes we have more credentials than they do. So I think it's just really important <laughs> to be honest or not honest, excuse me, be um, intentional about what the market is actually paying for what we're charging. Um, and being confident in charging with that. And I wrote a whole chapter in my book about money. And I always say that, you know, there's actually data that shows that men talk about money more than women. And that's why it's so important for women to talk about money and how much they charge and how much they make, because that's how we have these conversations about making sure that we are charging the right amount. Absolutely. And that reminded me of one of the points that you had in a big five article that I looked over that you had written and, or it was about you and it was about stop overestimating others' intelligence and underestimating your own. And that's kind of a foundation in that too. Like, uh, oh, but they're so smart or whatever. Yeah. No, you have not. more credentials probably. <laughs> exactly. Like, let's just get down to brass tacks. I mean, I think it's just so tempting to put people on a pedestal. And I know this because I did it in corporate and I, I still do it now. And I always have to remember, I'm like, wait a minute, they're human. They are human. It <laughs> helps me to remember too. Like, you know, I'm a coach. I have members of the government as my client base. I have CEOs of organizations. I have C-suite leaders. I have entrepreneurs. And you know what? I think the most humbling thing I've learned is everybody's just trying to figure it out. Everybody. I've had male CEOs schedule time with me to say, how do I bring more diversity? And you can just tell, like, they're nervous about it. They're nervous about this conversation. Like, we're all just trying to figure it out. So stop thinking that other people have it all figured out because then we underestimate what we can bring. That's such a good, like, across the board lesson, you know, like, I, a lot of times I've, I guess, as I've gotten older, I've applied that in a lot of ways, like, everybody's, you know, doing their best, everybody's trying to figure it out. And if we can just approach it with that way, because I know I am. And so it gives me more compassion for myself. Yes, it's like the past versions of me, and also for other people. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a good, like, uh, baseline, I guess, mm -hmm. of compassion. Awesome. Yes, yeah. Well, that. thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. I also wanted to ask you about uh, some of your transformative moments in your life because you've spoken up for yourself, at least it shows, by leaving a corporate job and going to going to your own entrepreneurship. But also you called off your wedding. You mentioned, you know, that you were in an emotionally abusive relationship. I'm guessing that's your second one. You were divorced. Okay. And so um, that must have spilled over and given you a lot of confidence, even though it's really hard. I know I've left yeah. two marriages and that's exceedingly difficult, but it's also benefited me and my voice and made me stronger. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I often say that um, sometimes saying no builds more confidence than saying yes, because saying no just requires a lot of courage. So yeah, both relationships were not emotionally healthy in any sense of the word. But, you know, the first one, even though that's the father of my daughter, it wasn't as hard as the second one. Um, you know, we were three months out from the wedding and, you know, on paper, nobody would have 
you know, sense probably that this was not a good thing, but I just had so many doubts. Like my gut was just kind of, you know, in a wreck. And in fact, I tell this story in the book, um, you know, we'd been together for five years and, you know, it was always just kind of the highs are really high and the lows were really low. And so, you know, we were about three months out for the wedding and there was just lots of little red flag. Well, there had always been red flags, but I think I started to actually really <laughs> see the red flags, you know, and they were popping up. They were flapping in the wind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were getting flare flapping pretty heavy in the wind. And so, you know, one of the things that was happening was um, I started to have really bad like stomach pain along my side. And so stomach pain so bad that I went to my doctor, they were doing ultrasounds to see like, is something wrong with my intestines? You know, couldn't find anything. Everything looked good. And you know what? It was my massage therapist. Um, I went in and, you know, just so stressed out and she, you know, was doing her massage thing. She's like, Ellie, she's like, your pain is because your psoas muscles, which are the muscles that, um, for those of you who don't know, they're kind of like the muscles that run alongside your abdomen all the way down to your hip bone. Okay. So they're those mm -hmm. muscles that run along the side, run along the side. She said, Kelly, those muscles are so tight. She's like, it's almost like you're like hunched over clenching all day because they're, they're like contracted all the time. And I mean, it made so much sense because I was like, oh my gosh, like I literally am. I'm sitting at my desk all day long, like doubled over clenched because I'm just under so much stress. It was the stress of like, is this person right for me? Like I, I wrote in the book about how, like, you know, I would Google till 2 AM, like, how do you know to call off a wedding? What if it's just cold feet? You know, all these other things I was pulling all my friends. I was, you know, wondering what I should do. And, you know, I had a coworker that I trusted. And we were talking about it and she came in my office one day and I just told her, yeah, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know if I should go through with the wedding or not. She just looked at me and she's like, Kelly, she's like, God is not the author of chaos. He is the author of peace. And she's like, and if there's something in your life that fills of chaos, it is not from God. And I say in the book, you know, whether it's God, universe, creator, whatever you believe in. And like, when she said that to me, like ever, it's like my whole body just dropped because you know what? I knew what chaos felt like. And I knew what peace felt like, and this was not it. And it was like in that moment, it was the first time, honestly, that I had used something other than my head to make this decision. Like I was such an analytical person. I probably had a dang Excel spreadsheet with pros and cons on it about getting married, <laughs> but it was the first time that I dropped below my neck and actually felt something in my body, like my intuition, like something waking up. That's like, this does not feel like peace. And whatever feels like peace, like I want that, like I want that oh, weightless sort of feeling. And that's kind of just how I knew that's kind of how I just kind of had this massive aha moment that, you know, this person was not aligned with my values, you know, took, it was the calling out that wedding was like the hardest conversation I've ever had, but it was in that moment. And then in probably the, the year after that was the most transformational of my life, because here I was on the other end of two failed relationships. I was convinced my picker was broken. I was like in $40,000 of credit card debt, trying to keep up just a life for me and my daughter. I couldn't afford, you know, um, I was in the kind of a career crisis because the role I was in, we found out the company was bought and I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, everything just kind of felt like it was totally falling apart. And, you know, I remember just really, really struggling. Like I remember one morning at my kitchen table, just like could not get myself together. I was crying. Obviously I couldn't go to work. I just felt so much shame. I mean, I was raised Catholic. I had all this Catholic guilt. I'm divorced. And oh my gosh. And, you know, I kind of just had this liberating truth. I'm like, you know, there's a common denominator in all this. 
In fact, I can blame a lot of people for this and say, well, if only, you know, this would happen. But I'm like, but there's a common denominator in all of this and it is me. So I kind of just kind of had this aha moment. I'm like, well, if I can figure out all the poor decisions that led me to where I'm at, then maybe I can find my way out of it by, you know, and that was just in those transformative moments in the months after that, like it became really clear where I'd made boundaries exceptions. It became really clear where I was not clear about what I stood for. It was clear that obviously I was not living in alignment with my values. And so I had to make some really hard choices about, you know, how I wanted to live my life, the friends I was going to hang out with, how I was going to spend my money. And it wasn't perfect, but I mean, that was really hard transformational work. But I always say that, you know, that time in my life, I think just gave me a healthy level of discernment and discernment's not the difference between like what's right and what's wrong, but the really a healthy level of discernment to say like, what's the difference between what looks right and what is right. And that being the hardest time of my life has informed so many of my choices. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it's like, I needed that like hard lump against the head to really start to figure some things out. So I was so I could actually create the life I wanted. Yeah. To that's, thank you for sharing all that. And I love what you just said about discernment too. Just sidebar. I have a angel card deck that I draw from every day. I draw mm -hmm. three, but there's discernment in there and I'll go through periods where I'll draw it a lot. And I've looked up the word and I've thought a lot about it and I haven't heard it described in that way. I like that. What looks right and what is right, because we can be fooled so easily and what should be right, you know, yep. or what we think. So thank you. Um, and then also I wanted to ask after you had that real clear moment of making a decision from, you know, not your head, how, how do you stay in touch with your body and your decision in that way? Do you have any practices that you really do to stay in touch with that? Yes. And I teach them to my clients and I'll teach them to you right now. So that was kind of my first waking up moment. And then it would have been about a year later, I was working for the leadership development consulting firm and I was taking on some coaching clients and I told my boss, I'm like, I'm coaching these people without training. I'm like, you got to send me to school or something, you know? And she's like, okay. <laughs> so I go to this, um, coaching, um, uh, program it's with Dr. Martha Beck and you know, there's a lot of mind body work in her approach. And I get, I'm a very still analytical, like let's break out the spreadsheet sort of person. So we get to the mind body work. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, eh, I'll just skip this week. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't like all this woo woo stuff getting in my body, but then I was like, okay, well I paid for it. So they run us through a body scan. And so a body scan is basically just like, let's just kind of just notice everything happening in our body by starting with our toes, moving up to our knees, our legs, our stomach, our shoulders, right? Just like, as she would call it, like crawling back into your, your body. And so we would kind of crawl in, reconnect with our bodies, which I still do every day. And it's really helpful to fall asleep. <laughs> and so then she walked us into this thing where we imagined kind of a situation in our life that just was not in alignment, not a good situation, something we would not want to go back to. And so I had mine in my head and she's like, okay, we'll notice how your body responds. And for the first time I was like, oh my gosh, I got this like feeling in my sternum. And of course I'd felt that feeling before. Like I recognized it right away, but you know what? I'd ignored it. I'd ignored it for mm -hmm. at that point, 37 years, because, you know, I was such a heady sort of person that anytime I felt anything in my body, I would immediately go to my head and talk myself out of it. Like I just, I didn't give it any credence, but I felt that. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, I had this feeling when I was getting ready for my first wedding. I had this feeling when I was walking down the aisle. I had this feeling when we were leaving for a honeymoon. I've had this feeling for five years with this individual that I was with at the time, you know? I had this feeling every time, you know, in my current job, they would book me to travel, you know? And I was like, oh, so then they walk you through, you know, hey, imagine a situation that feels good. And how does your body respond? And I felt that feeling of peace. And it was in that moment where I had the clarity. And this is something I teach my clients too: how our bodies and I have a whole chapter on my book on it. How do our bodies say heck yes or hell no? And I still use it all of the time, all of the time. Like when I'm making business decisions, I'll just sit back and I just imagine. I'm like, okay, I'm going to imagine doing business with this person. And I'm going to think about all the facts about this relationship. And I'm going to think about my values. Does this relationship align with my values? And I'll just drop into my gut and be like, does this feel like dread, you know, heavy? Or does this feel peaceful, kind of light, exciting, airy, you know? doesn't mean I don't feel a little scare-sided, right? Like a little scared, a little excited. Scare-sided. You know? But there's yeah. a difference be feeling between, and we all know it, there's a difference between feeling scare-sided, right? A little scared, a little excited, and feeling scared with that sinking pit of dread. And so absolutely, I check in with my body all of the time, and I, I listen to it. I listen to it. It's when I don't listen to it that I get in trouble. What an incredible practice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, As I was listening to you too, when you were talking about at the kitchen table and then reflecting back how you wouldn't wish that on anybody, but you had an appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. What role does gratitude play in your life now? And how do you um, integrate that into your life and look back at like on that with gratitude? So if you, if you can see on video, you're going to see, but on audio, I want you to imagine like, so I have this custom planner and every day in this custom planner, it has the date, it has the meetings that I have, and it has a daily win. And so if you go in at the end of every day, I just put in a daily win and it can be little things like, gosh, one of these days, I think I even wrote, I smelled fresh cut grass today. (laughs) It's, it's just so like, I went on a walk that morning and like I live in Nebraska. And so in April, this is the first time where we're getting out to mow lawns. And I remember I was kind of tired that morning. And then I saw the lawnmower guys out and I smelled it. And I was like, oh, I'm just breathing it in. But sometimes they are really big wins. But no, I think that that's so important for us to be intentional and write down about what's working and what feels good. Because so we can remember that feeling of what feels good so that we can create more of that. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that you weren't always emotionally in tune with how your emotions felt in your body. I'm the same way. Like it's been a learning process for me because I don't know, I just didn't feel, I, I don't feel like I was ever taught that. I don't know if we need to be taught that. Did you I teach think we your need to daughter be taught that? that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. So like the instance that happened with um, the individual at her coffee shop, I, 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 I'd like to say, I commended her. I was like, Haley, I go, what did you feel in your body? Like, remember that feeling. Remember that feeling. That feeling kept you safe. And even just Mm -hmm. in other situations, yeah. Like if she's kind of like, you know, in a teenage tizzy about something, I'll just be like, well, you know, like, how does your, how does your gut feel right now? What about your energy? Like, you know, what does it feel like in your body right now? So yeah, I've, I've tried to really start doing that with her because like, no, nobody did that with me. No way. Me either. I don't know if it's just like in the conversation now or we're more practiced at it or what a combination probably, but it's just so interesting that 
like I, that wasn't even a thought to people. So yeah, it's it's super interesting and it's so valuable and it's like a muscle, like just if anybody's working on it, don't be discouraged because it'll get stronger over time. Just like yours has, as you were talking about. All right. So as we're wrapping up, I want to turn the floor over to you. Is there anything that we didn't get to today that you really want to talk about or anything that maybe is on your heart right now, or you're feeling in your body in this moment that is coming up that we uh, need to address or even anything you want to reiterate? Yeah, no, I I really just want to like land on this topic because you know, one of the things that, as you may have inferred from this podcast, I enjoy offering really, it's not just even corporate America, but just, you know, the world that we work in different ways of living and being in the world. And I used to create leadership development for a living. And one of the things that um, I say in my book, and I often talk about is leadership development, or even just entrepreneur, lots of the growth and tips, it's all neck up stuff. It's all strategy, process, tactics. These are the things you can do, but we do not pay enough attention or teach people how to go neck down. Like we do not teach entrepreneurs. We do not teach leaders like to just stop and be like, wait a minute, before you make this decision, like, how does that feel in your body? What does this do to your energy? Like, you know, really slowing down and and like, and teaching leaders. And I, I do teach every leader that I work with the merit of trusting their heart and their gut. And how, when we have all three centers integrated, our head, our heart, and our gut, we make better decisions. We live Mm -hmm. more fulfilled lives. We set better boundaries, right? We just move through the world happier as a leader, making more effective decisions and entrepreneurs, right? This is for people in corporate and entrepreneurs. And so, you know, the message I really want to leave people with is like, you know, really slow down and go and check in. Like, does this decision align with my values? You know, how do I feel in my body when I think about saying yes to this or saying no to it, right? Trust that, just trust how that energy feels in your body, because if it feels heavy and dreadful, you might want to slow down and take a pause, but if it feels light and airy and fizzy and alignment with your values, you know, it's probably the right decision for you, even if it doesn't always look good on paper. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was yeah. an incredible podcast. I am so happy that we, our paths crossed and we got to do this and I got to share your voice, like so much value and thank you so much. You know, just one last thing with what you were just saying is that like more tapping into our feminine do you think when we get into that feeling of our body i think some people say that um i don't maybe it's part of the whole you know i don't wholeness of us it is like you know when i um talk with folks in corporate i don't get into the whole masculine energy feminine thing because that's just you know they'll go you know But what I believe is exactly what you just said. I don't really know what's masculine and feminine, but what I know is there is available information to me that has been given to me by God, the universe creator, whatever you believe in. And it's my job to use all of it. So that's, that's, I, I agree with that. And I think I'm kind of over the whole, like dividing it up and acting like we're naturally inclined. Maybe, I mean, we all have our natural inclinations just, but we're all, there's also the, nature versus nurture, you know, what were we taught, but, um, it is getting in touch with our wholeness, our whole selves, like get it all in there and, and make decisions. And we have a lot more power than we think we do. So, um, think we do. So anyway, thank you. This was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. Every second. Thank you for everything. I feel like I learned so much and thought about so much in my own life too. And can you share how everyone can find you and perhaps sign up for your program too? 
Yeah, absolutely. Best place to find me is just to go to Kelly Ray Thompson. I'm Kelly with an I, R-A-E, Thompson.com. And if you just want some free stuff, like I've actually got a free tab on there. There's some um, free downloads to help you either with career clarity. If you're an entrepreneur, there's actually like an energetic capacity plan so you can build business um, in alignment with your energy in a way that feels good for you. There's information about my book there. And then if you're on the socials, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn at forward slash Kelly Ray Thompson. Everything is in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Kelly, for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Please reach out if you have any comments or questions, leave a review. And always, I encourage you to share this with a friend. If you got something out of it, which I know you did, anytime we can have those conversations and who knows, ask them what their rates are, you know, like start conversations. That is where magic and change starts to happen. It's that action and every step matters, even the little bitty baby steps. So thank you so much for being here, everyone. Remember that my courses are out. You can find everything at amyedwards.info. Huge thanks to Kelly today. And thank you to you for showing up for yourself today till next time. This has been the Amy Edwards Show from Overcome Studios. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much for being here. Sign up for our newsletter at amyedwards.com.